What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam, podcast fam? Welcome to the week five edition of the DFS Lab. It's our first show of the week, DraftKings edition. Keegan and I will be opening up the slate, probably taking a bit of a bird's eye view of the slate and diving into pricing what this slate provides. Also talking a little bit about week four. We're, we're recording this on Wednesday, so a good chance to still reflect back on the week behind us, what we learned from DFS, what we learned from the NFL teams. Uh, and then again, build a roster, start getting ready for this week's slate. As always, the most critical thing here is not uncovering the players, but it is talking through the slate so that we can start seeing new angles on how we can attack the slate. Some really cool stuff we're going to talk about, about how I attacked week four. And then also gives us an opportunity to talk about what DFS is really about, which is the strategy behind building rosters and how we target first place with the rosters that we are building. So with that, let's get started. One week season. Keegan, my man, how are you? I'm pretty good, man. That was a great intro. Was it? Yeah. Was I got a lot of practice with the uh, with the intros. I see we've swapped out the Adidas hat for the Titleist hat. Indeed. Yeah, this one's a little bit, it's a bit tighter. Um, it's not as like worn in, you know. So. <laughs> give it four years. In a, give, in a four couple, years. <laughs> give it four years and a couple opportunities to be worn to weddings and it'll be, <laughs> it'll be in great shape. Yeah. Uh, how was your week four? Um, not profitable. <laughs> but I mean, like I had the correct players, just not on the correct like rosters. How did you, how many, did you end up playing 150? Did you attack the quarter um, arcade? I, no, I okay. didn't do any, I didn't do any 150 this week. I wasn't confident in doing 150. So I just did, um, I just did some single entries. Actually, I did like a lot less than like what I'd usually do. So I probably did like four or five single entries. And uh, I had, man, I was, I was really banking on Keenan Allen this week and it just <laughs> you know, didn't really show out for that. So no, yeah. the, um, I was actually, it was one of those, you know, I, I build in such a bubble that I, I could have seen it, I guess, coming in retrospect, if I put it in the public's mind, I was, when I looked at ownership in the late slate and Keenan Allen was like 43% or something like that. in some of the contests I was in, I had him on like, four percent of my of my rosters oh really um, and uh, and that was more just like i got to account for him just in case but it was uh the raider i talked about it throughout the week like the raiders had done so much to sell out to stop first reads and so uh, i forget what coach it was but there was a coach the other day who said you know if a defense wants to take away something they can take it away which isn't totally true we talked last week about like even if you double cover justin jefferson he really just has to beat one guy right if you've got inside outside leverage if he beats the inside guy well he's still open but uh, yeah, it's just like it was going to be harder when they're limited on weapons. No Austin Eckler, no Josh Palmer. Uh, harder for him to get open because the defense can sell out and say, you got to beat us in other ways. And I think most people just looked at it as, well, there's no other weapons, so they're just going to throw to Keenan Allen. I think that's the typical way that people look at it, but they don't necessarily see it through the lens of the, um, of the defense, right? So um, yeah, so you didn't end up using the, you didn't end up like building 150 and then like shopping through those. You ended up just hand building. Yeah, I did some handbills this week. All right, all right. So uh, I ended up finishing. I, it was kind of weird. I had my third, second place finish of the year, which it's obviously hard to have that many across three different weekends. It's hard to have like that many, three out of four weekends where you're 
in shape to have second place finishes, but also hard to like have that many second place finishes without one of them popping into first. Um, I did get a first place finish this last weekend in like a smaller, like a 500 entry contest. And then the one that I finished second in, I actually don't know how many entries it is, but a, a several thousand single entry contest, the double spy. Um, and I was in, I was in first place. And then Christian McCaffrey got like three more rushing yards to put the guy like tied with me in first place. And then the Patriots gave up one more touchdown. I had the Patriots defense on that roster. No. Took that dud at the Patriots defense, still scored 211 um, and lost a point when the Patriots defense gave up that touchdown. So finished second place there. But um, but it was, it was you know, in fact, let me, I want to pull up this roster and it, it gives me an opportunity to talk about two things that I think are, are not that I think, two things that are pretty critical. So uh, this is the double spy. It was out of, I guess it doesn't say here how many entries it was. Um, Oh, no, it does. Okay, about 1,000 entries. So uh, this is a single entry contest, okay? And this roster had uh, Nico Collins on it. It had, uh, who was 4.9% owned in this contest. It had Cole Komet, who was 3% owned. It had uh, Justin Fields, who was 7% owned in this contest. It had the Patriots defense, which obviously failed me, but was 0.6% owned. But I didn't, I didn't hand build this roster, right? I didn't go, it would have been very difficult on this last week. I never heard anybody talking about Nico Collins, right? So if you're building for MME, you know Nico Collins is a player you want to count for. You know that you want to have him in your player pool because when you're building that 150 max player pool, what you're saying is who can, who do I have to count for? Who can put up the type of score that uh, can win you a tournament, right? And so he's obviously in that bucket, but coming off of a, I think it was a three target, two catch game in week three, you're not like breaking down the plays. And this is why I say like, it's, it's harder for people to build hand build single entry sometimes because you get in that mindset of like trying to build the optimal plays onto a roster. So you start thinking like, well, I can't fade Keenan Allen because what if he has a big game, right? A lot of like my hand build single entries, I forced Jamar Chase onto those. But when I'm just shopping through my 150 to find my other rosters, it's like the rosters that stand out to me. So again, I, I make notes on my rosters as I, like as there are certain ones that stand out. My note on this roster was one of my faves. And so after I made that note, it was like, okay, well, I want to get this, the, the double spies, a $200 single entry. So it was like, okay, I think that this is, this is one of my favorite rosters. This is one that I want to put into this contest uh, with Nico Collins on it. Right. And when I saw that Nico Collins was on the roster, it was uncomfortable because I wouldn't have hand built a roster with Nico Collins, but then you're like, well, he can win a tournament and this roster is really good. Uh, I also had a single entry roster this week with Devon Achan. Uh, and I think Nico Collins was on that one as well. And I wouldn't have gone out of my way to hand build an HN Nico Collins single entry roster. But when I'm shopping through my rosters, you know, I had, I think it was 13 total this week that stood out to me. And it was like, well, this is a really good roster and maybe HN misses. Right. But also he can hit and, and, you know, getting 30 from HN at low ownership, 38 from Nico at low ownership, 38.8. It's almost 39 from Nico at low ownership. Uh, and so again, that's like the, why I keep encouraging you, but also, OWS spam and anybody else listening, like uh, even if you're playing single entry three max, like consider using an optimizer because that ability to build a larger player pool, spit out 150 rosters and shop through them for the best ones. You end up with just these builds that are, are different. Right. And I had the, you know, I've had a second place in the chop block, which is like a 13 max tournament. I had a first place this last week in the chop blocks again, 13 max tournament. Uh, I've had a second place in the slant, which is 150 max. And then this second place uh, with single entry, right? And so it's not all like 150 max. Most of my big finishes so far this year have been these tighter builds where I'm saying, what are my favorite rosters? Let me put them in. But it's shopping through those rosters um, 
So yeah, I, I'll say that first. And there's another thing I want to touch on from my play this last week, but I'll pass over to you for any questions, thoughts, comments, whatever. Um, yeah, you know, I like I like the the whole thing where the mindset with Nico Collins. Um, you know, I looked at him and I was like, he could definitely have a a blow up game, but you know, again, like you said with the hand builds, it's like having trying to build that optimal lineup. And I had that thought like of uh well, he didn't do good last week. And I like I was on him last week. <laughs> yeah, that makes it harder. And so when you get like destroyed by by a guy like that, you know, it's like, man, do I want to take that risk again? But you know, every game is different. So you really Yeah, can't. and Sutton Sutton's right there with eleven targets the week before, like at the almost the same price. Nico was fifty one, Sutton was fifty three. Um and so, yeah, it's an interesting, like, it's a, just a shift. And, and obviously there's some people who can build single entry that way, but there's like a shift in perspective when, if you're building for single entry, you're like, well, I don't want Nico Collins. But then if you're building for 150 max, you're like, well, I have to have Nico Collins in my pool, right? So then all of a sudden you've got, I don't know what I had, um, probably eight to 12% Nico Collins, probably eight to 12% Tank Dell. And so then they're getting mixed and matched across roster. I actually have a roster that finished, I finished, 45th and 49th in the slant, which is that um, $9, 150 max tournament, 26,000 entries. I finished 45th and, and 49th. My 49th place one had uh, Michael Thomas. So in that same price range. And so you're like, man, if Nico Collins had just been put onto that roster instead of Michael Thomas, then that one would have finished, I think, third place in the slant this last week, right? So you just give yourself those opportunities to mix and match these pieces. But then the other thing I want to talk about here is that, and I talk about this all the time, you want to give yourself fewer things you need to get right. I guess it's a good point to like step in and say what the concept of this show is. So the concept of this show is uh, if you're new here, uh, Keegan's been playing DFS for uh, two, three years, playing like around his job, new, new kid, new marriage work. Um, and like trying to piece together DFS play. I've been doing DFS essentially full time for 10 years. So the concept here is for, for Keegan to be kind of asking questions that you guys might be asking, learning things that you guys might be learning uh, sharpening his play and for me to kind of help with that process. So uh, I always say we want to give ourselves fewer things we need to get right. So one of the things I was talking about last week very specifically is in, in that you can't build a roster where it's all high confidence plays. And I think we talked about this on one of our shows. You can't build a roster that's all high confidence plays that like maybe don't quite have the ceiling because if they all hit, you're getting like 170, 180 points, right? Somebody in that contest is getting over 200 and passing you. But I think that there's also a tendency to swing too far the other way where people say, all right, I'm going to play like this crazy play and this crazy play. And like you have to have already there's a lot of guesswork in whether or not a player is going to have a big game. So then if there's also guesswork in like whether or not he'll get the usage, you got to get the usage correct. Then you have to get like the, the big game correct the game environment correct. And then if it's like a player with snaps, like like Marvin Mims, and I had some Marvin Mims this last week. I had him on my main roster even, but like then you're guessing on snaps and usage and production, right? So you have to get all three of those things right. And then if you have like a roster full of players like that, the chances of you getting things right across all your roster spots are so low that you're gonna have like this 40 point score from some guy, but it's gonna be totally wasted, right? Or like Nico Collins, if you're guessing on Nico Collins type players who can have a blow up or a dud, you're doing, you do that across your roster, you're gonna get this 39 pointer from Nico Collins and it gets totally wasted because all your other guesses end up missing. So this last week, one of the things that I found, and I talked about it in my update on the player grid Sunday morning, actually I talked about it all week, right? That uh, the, the Rams core three players, Tutu Atwell, Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, that they'd had out of their nine combined scores, they'd had seven scores that you would have been really happy with. And I talked about that a lot. And I said on Friday, I said that I would probably have 
one a rule of one Rams player on every roster with a lot of rosters with two Rams. What I ended up realizing as I got even deeper into the weekend was there was so little certainty on the slate that it made the most sense to play all three guys together. And it was such an unusual build because who's going to play Tutu Atwell, Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, and no Matthew Stafford. Like nobody's going to do that, but they cost 18.2 K in salary combined. So in terms of salary multipliers, in terms of keeping you on a forex pace, in terms of keeping you on a pace for 200 points, they needed like about 72 to 73 points. Well, they'd already had a 75 pointer and like a 78 pointer or 80 pointer so far in the season. So like two out of three games, you could have just played these three guys and almost treated it like a player, one player who costs 18.2K and is probably going to get you 70 plus points. And sure enough, they ended up getting 72 points or maybe it was 73 points again. So what I had was I had 80% Kyron Williams, 80% Puka Nakua, 80% Tutu Atwell, which sort of forced the optimizer to have basically two guys on almost every roster with like 40% of my rosters had all three guys on them. And all of my rosters that finished near the tops of tournaments this last week had all three guys on them. And obviously there's a lot here. If you're new to this type of concept, uh, just tune into OWS because you'll pick up stuff like this. But the thought, the basic thought is like, yeah, but Tutu Atwell only put up seven points. And it's like, yes, but nobody's playing all these players together. And so what you're doing is you're saying points are hard to get. I now don't have to guess which player is getting these points. I just know that if this game plays out the way I'm expecting it to play out, all these players get these points. And sure, Puka had like, the, it went to overtime and he got the touchdown and all that. It could have been fewer points, could have been 60 points, but that's still a great score from this huge chunk of salary. And so always looking for things like that where you can say, where can I build in certainty? What's a concentrated offense that can produce? The players are underpriced and kind of looking for stuff like that to where now I had a block of certainty across all my rosters, right? Because I had a bunch of rosters where it was, Tutu wasn't on them and it was Puka plus Kyron. So then those rosters are even in better shape, right? Uh, but then it's like, how do you build this, this confident block? And then you can start firing upside pieces around. So it was easier for me to go 20% Justin Fields, easier for me to go 12% Cole Komet, easier for me to go, you know, 8, 12%, whatever it was, Nico Collins, and kind of take these shots on players who have a lower floor, but also this high ceiling, because it's like, I know I'm getting points in this spot and Maybe I only get 60 points from the Rams, so I need these other pieces to overperform. Or maybe I get 70 plus points from the Rams, and now I'm in awesome shape. And then I also have pieces that can overperform. So, yeah, just kind of like um, a, a, a build strategy that I just think so many people overlook. Um, I guess fewer people watch this show than my show with Pete on Fridays, and we kind of talk conceptually about this type of stuff there. So, people have picked this up, right, from listening to me, but like this kind of drills down deeper than we, we typically have time to into what this type of play looks like and why it's so valuable. So uh, yeah, before we start working on a week five roster, let me toss it over to you for any, any final thoughts or questions on, on that type of approach. Um, yeah. So you basically just concentrated offenses, right? So yeah. Yeah. Like concentrated the, offenses, concentrated offenses, like the dolphins are concentrated too. Right. But the price tags are also so high that they still need a monster game. And so Look at it like the Broncos, where we talked last week about how they'd only mm -hmm. had one situation all season of a single player player seeing more than seven targets. So you can get that bet right that the Broncos have a big game, and then you still might not get the bet correct of like any individual player having a big game. And then even if one individual player does, you don't know who that individual player will be. So there's just a lot more guesswork. Um, Kansas City is obviously a great example. Like Mahomes is going to put up 300 yards and three touchdowns, 
and maybe none of his pass catchers are, are worth it at their salary. Um, so when you can find a concentrated offense, the Vikings in past years, the Raiders last year, that eliminates a lot of guesswork and sets you forward in guaranteed points. It's not just concentrated offenses. It's also like spots where players are like, take Arizona's offense this week, right? Players are underpriced. Like Josh Dobbs has been pretty awesome. I mean, he scored like 22 plus points in two of his four games. Uh, not pretty awesome, but pretty awesome for expectations. Pretty awesome for his price tag. Uh, all of his weapons are low priced. Marquise Brown's 5K. Ertz is still in the, I think, low 3Ks. Uh, Michael Wilson's like 3,700. So like spots like that where you can say, okay, maybe the, this doesn't win me the tournament, but it's just like pretty solid points that you can get. But wherever you can build in, or even if it's like Christian McCaffrey, right? Um, where it's like, okay, I'm getting this solid base of points and then you fire in your upside shots around that. So every week, what that week provides in this regard is going to be different. So this is the first time I've ever, that I can recall, ever played three guys from one team, no quarterback, and just like done that across a ton of rosters. So not every week provides exactly that, but every week is going to provide something that gives you like a higher floor and more certainty. And then you, you've got to like find those pieces as kind of a core, and then you build in your... Um, upside around that or we talked last week you know like my top six wide receivers last week uh week week four my top six wide week three my top six wide receivers were the six like highest scoring wide receivers on the slate and that was like my high confidence bets was these are the top guys and so i'm gonna have a ton of these guys and then build in my upside shots around that so every week though you got to look for like what are the high confidence plays almost like what are the plays that you want to play in single entry you feel really good about and then you build in your upside shots around that, but you still need those those upside shots around that, like like the Nico Collins, the Cole Commits, the Justin Fields. Um, you know, there were other guys this last week who hit sort of in that regard as well. But uh, those are some good examples from this last week of those types of plays. Yeah, and um, I was looking at the, um, this week's slate, and uh, I kind of noticed like none of the tight ends that I've seen have gotten thirty points this yeah. season so far. Yeah, or even like 20. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like 20 is their their ceiling so far. I don't even think – I think Kelsey's highest game might have been 19. I could be wrong on that. He could have like a 23-pointer, but uh, let me see here. Yeah, 19, 19.9 points is the highest Kelsey's got this year. So um, I'm curious if that's just like because it's early in the season or um, or what you think about that. Yeah, I mean like fundamentally Kelsey still has – 30 point ceiling, but actually let's, um, I'm going to pull up something on, uh, of course, when I search Travis Kelsey recommended is, uh, Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, uh, shout out to <laughs> Taylor Swift for putting eyes on, uh, on Travis Kelsey there. Um, all right. So I'm going to remove your screen and I'm going to share, uh, fantasy data where, as I mentioned before, I use this for, um, finding like uh, historical pricing or, or I mean, historical production on players. So you can sort by DraftKings scoring. And I think that people don't necessarily, I think that people like misperceive Kelsey given his price tag, right? Like technically you want about 30 points from him. So this is last year. He's got this 29 pointer. He's got this 33 pointer. He's got this 38 pointer. Everything else is 24.2 and below. And you got a lot of 15, 8, 11, 11, 10, uh, 18, 10, um, and then we go back to 2021 and sort of the same thing, obviously Tyreek Hill was there, which, which 
took away some targets from Kelsey, but also opened up the offense more, which, you know, allowed him to be more open. So you start the season at 25, 26.9, uh, and then everything else, right, below that same, that 24.2 mark. Uh, a lot of scores in the teens, this 5.7, and then this 44-pointer. So it's like the the blow-up games from Kelsey are less frequent than people seem to think. You know what I mean? Like he's typically going to get you like 15 to, to 20, 21, 22 points. Um, now there's also an element here of tight end is so interesting because it's uh, – and this is some like conceptual – uh, like I've said before, the DFS isn't like dots on a line, right? It's almost like you have to be able to hold all these pieces and like just see the whole picture. So there is a, if, if Travis Kelsey scores 20 and nobody else, no other tight end score more than like eight, he's still really valuable just because of like, you're now 12 points ahead of everybody else at the tight end position. So even though you overpaid for those points, then, you know, it, he still has value. The other elements to think about there is like, if you're paying 7,600 for him, what does that take away from the rest of your roster? Um, now people can overthink that. We've talked about this on hand builds people. You can really be like, okay, we, I think we a couple weeks ago. We were like, you know, you can be on like this 4,600 player and be like, yeah, but I can also save an extra 600 here to go down to this guy. And I can do that at this position, this position. Right. And that's why the hand builds, they don't end up with Nico Collins. Cause you're on Nico Collins and you're like, yeah, but I can get down to Josh Palmer, uh, save 1100. And then that frees up 1100 to go from this, you know, 6,700 guys for go up from Devin Achan up to Josh Jacobs, you know? So it's like people can get too, they can assume that the pricing is exactly right. But at the same time, so like you can pay Kelsey and then that forces you to some 5k wide receivers who hit. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's like, that does restrict your salary. So you have to think about that as well. If there's like, if, if it's a week where you end up needing Christian McCaffrey or you end up needing uh, Justin Jefferson or whoever it might be, like you might not be able to get up to them because now you have Travis Kelsey. So, uh, and then kind of the final piece there is like, it's so hard to guess on who the cheap tight end is, who will hit. But if any of them hit, you're now at a disadvantage, right? Even if the guy who hits is like 4% owned, if he goes for 20 and Kelsey goes for 20, like there are rosters with that other guy and they now have 4,000 extra in salary than you have. Um, so yeah, like Kelsey's such an interesting flashpoint every week, but we also have to keep in mind, there were those you saw on the, the game logs, the 38 pointer last year, I think it was a 33 pointer, the 44 pointer the year before he's going to have games like that as well. Um, I guess we should, we should follow the Taylor Swift trail and see if she's going to the game in, um, <laughs> in Minneapolis. If so, like eventually they're going to get Kelsey a monster game here, but, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, tight end is, I mean, it's especially thin this week. Uh, Dallas Goddard had, I think it was a 27 pointer last year, but he's typically, you know, he's actually started slow this year. He's almost always in like that uh, nine to 14 point range. If you go through his game logs um, and uh, yeah, Tyler Higby's typically going to get to like eight to 12, sometimes 13, 14 points. Although Cooper cup is expected back this week. Um, so, you know, then, then you've got Puka and, uh, and cup kind of taking away targets. Um, and then, you know, there's always like the, there's the argument that like Zach Ertz has dusty legs and he by the way, I said it a couple weeks ago that Adam Thielen had dusty legs. Now I was watching the tape from that game yesterday. I was like, dude, Thielen looks fresh. Like, he looks fresh. <laughs> um, Zach Ertz, you know, you can be like, well, he doesn't have upside cause he doesn't get yards. Right. And, and he gets all these, gets all these targets, um, 10 targets week one and 8.1 DraftKings points 
Uh, eight targets week two, 11.6 DraftKings points, 10 targets last week, 11.3 DraftKings points. But he also dropped a touchdown with like 12 seconds left this last week. So all of a sudden he scores that touchdown. That's an extra catch. That's an extra, I think it was like 10 yards. That's an extra touchdown. And all of a sudden he's got 19 points, you know, and yeah. his price goes up. And, and so it's like, it's easy to look at Ertz and be like, well, Ertz is just the safe play at 3,500. Um but he can't get the ceiling play, but he actually can get this, the ceiling game as well, because I'm not like a 30 pointer, 40 pointer, but like if Kelsey scores 20 and Ertz catches that touchdown pass this week, you know, and he scores 20, all of a sudden you save 4k and you just have so much more salary flexibility. So yeah, tight end is ugly. And, and right now my list is kind of broad just because it's so ugly, but it's like um, there's a few pieces that are kind of just better than the others. Yeah. Um, with me saying that, like, nobody scored 30 points, I'm, I'm not also not saying that, like, nobody can. Right, right, right. I have, like, a list, you know, like, of who can. I think um, Hawkinson could. Yep. If, uh, yeah. You know, they did well. Uh, yeah. Mark Andrews obviously can. I don't I don't know if Sam Laporta can. He probably could. I mean, he got, he's already got 22. How many touchdowns? That was with one touchdown. So Yeah, yeah. And that was also, you know, he had a um, – most of his most of his work comes really close to the line of scrimmage, and then he had like one big downfield catch. It was at a forty-five yarder, um, on I think it was kind of a busted play. I don't recall, but um, you know, at the same time, we it's one thing to look at the data. It's one thing to look at the numbers. Like T.J. Hawkinson's average depth of target is really low. It's I think it's under five yards downfield. Whereas like Gronk is going to be like eight. I mean Gronk uh, Kelsey's going to be eight to nine yards downfield. Hunter Henry is about nine yards downfield. So you like those types of plays more. Um, there was a play, a play this last week, though, where Hawkinson caught the ball like at or behind the line of scrimmage, but it was a play design. Like the whole play flowed out to the right and then Hawkinson bled out to the left. And the play was like designed to pull the whole defense over to one side of the field. And Hawkinson had a couple, it wasn't like a screen, but it was set up for Hawkinson to have blockers in front of him with very few guys in front of him. So it's like, that lowers his average depth of target on paper on the numbers that everyone's looking at, but it's a play designed to get him 15 to 20 yards, you know? So um, on the one hand, we can be like, yeah, but he doesn't, he doesn't see targets downfield. He really can't hit for a big game, but they do still try to position him to hit for big games. And that Kansas city defense is pretty lights out against wide receivers. So I think Hawkinson is overpriced, but actually pretty interesting this week. Um, you know, it, it's hard to go double tight end. Cause as we were saying, really the, the main key of a Kelsey isn't that he's likeliest to get you 30 plus points so much as it's the positional advantage, right? He gets you 25 and all the other tight ends get you 12 or fewer. Now you're at an edge. So it's kind of weird to play Kelsey Hawkinson together because you lose that positional advantage. Now you're putting one of these guys in the flex. Um, at the same time, it's also kind of weird because Mahomes is the quarterback to play in that game. Kelsey's the clear stacking partner, but then Hawkinson's probably the best bring back, you know? So you could almost say, you could almost build a super unique Mahomes, Hawkinson, no Mahomes stacking partner roster where you say like, you know, Mahomes does what he's done so far this year where he's putting up, I don't think he's put up like a 33 pointer or 35 pointer yet, but like you say Mahomes puts up 33 points and uh, yeah, so he's, you know, kind of topped off at like 25 points so far this year. But let's say he puts up a, a 33 pointer, but Kelsey only puts up 20. And then all the receivers, it's like spread out to where maybe a couple of them are good salary multipliers. But remember, like 
we can't box ourselves in a salary multiplier. Nico Collins went for a, an almost an 8x this last week. So like you want ceiling. You want the guys who can pop for big games. Um, so like Rasheed Rice goes for 14 points at his price tag. You're like, oh, that's pretty nice, but it's still probably not winning you a tournament, right? So um, and then on the flip side, like Mahomes is putting up 33 points. That means Kansas City scoring points. It means the Vikings are being forced to throw, try to keep up. And maybe Hawkinson is the guy who gets all the points because they're isolating Justin Jefferson, taking him somewhat out of the game. And um, so, yeah, it's, it, there's some interesting ways to approach that game where you could literally play Mahomes naked with TJ Hawkinson as the bring back and just have a unique, um, unique type of setup there. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually kind of like tight end is such a, a low confidence position in general. And then it's even more low confidence than normal this week. So it's a funny place to start the conversation, but it's actually a really interesting place too. Cause it, it opens up kind of thoughts like this of how could we attack this position? What could we do this week to sort of gain an edge uh, at the tight end spot and, and you know, how that trickles out to the rest of our roster. Okay. Yeah. So is that what you're wanting to start this? Yeah, we could do it. We could go, um, we could go Hawkinson and, Patrick Mahomes um, and, and just say, you know, let's see what happens with this type of build. Okay. In, in my opinion, this is, I, this is a very low confidence uh, build for me, but, but maybe. Yeah, but, and, well, what's funny is it's low confidence because it's unique, you know, like, yeah. and yet yeah. do you feel confident that Mahomes puts up a big game against Minnesota? And do you feel confident that like Hawkinson has a sh- like a shot at putting up the tight end, top tight end score? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yes. And yes. And so just because it looks so weird, People don't want to build like this. And if we put this in the description of the video, people will be like, what are they doing? You know, but like, <laughs> it actually, it actually, you break it down. It actually makes sense in terms of now, one thing I would want to think about is for Mahomes to really get to like 33 points or 38 points and win you a tournament, there's still probably one pass catcher he's bringing with him. Um, so in that regard, I'm actually going to check real quickly snaps last week for these guys. Um, but in that regard, we would want to pick one of these Kansas City pass catchers and say, you know, wh- where you're down at like cheap enough price tags. Okay, so uh, Rasheed Rice has gotten up to 32 snaps last week. Um, they had 70 total snaps as a team, so, you know, just under 50%. But in terms of like who the alpha is, uh, Justin Watson's out there, but primarily as like a blocker. Sky Moore is out there, 41 snaps, but he's kind of in this gadget role uh, where are we at on Kadarius Tony? Kadarius Tony, 17 snaps last week. So Rasheed Rice, he continues to see ascending snap counts, and you can look at his targets and see that he's seeing, um, you know, 39 snaps a week before. So he's going to be in this like 30 to 40 snap range, um, consistently seeing kind of like three to five targets, uh, one week with seven targets. So yeah, I think that he's probably the most interesting stacking partner, primarily because he's the most complete receiver um, in that like Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony are pretty confined to these short area gadget type stuff. And almost all their targets this year have been first read targets where the play was designed to go to them in the short areas or have been scrambled drills. Whereas Rasheed Rice is able to get some schemed usage down the field. So um, we do want to think about like if Mahomes actually puts up 35, which we're now saying on this roster that he will, because we're rostering him. Uh, he probably brings somebody with him. And so Rasheed Rice would be an interesting way to go and also kind of frees up salary after we've started with this expensive starting point. Yeah, and it does it does get really tricky because obviously he's probably going to give Kelsey, you know, one touchdown if he's getting 30 points. Um, 
you know, hope not hopefully, but probably, you know, like outcome wise, that's the likeliest outcomes. At least Kelsey gets like one of the three or four touchdowns that are in that game. Yeah. Yeah. Although if, you know, <laughs> Leslie Mahomes rushes for one, throws for three, Kelsey gets one and he catches six for 70 um, and a touchdown, right? That's 19 points uh, at 7,600. So then we can also think about like, who are the Kelsey rosters not being it like the Mahomes plus Kelsey rosters might not be able to roster, you know, somebody else who's the same price tag at a different position. Um, so we can kind of think like that as well of like, Oh man, for Kelsey, you know, that I feel like they wouldn't be able to roster Justin Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> that I feel, like, I feel like we wouldn't either. Um, probably not that this is, but, getting- you know, and, and if I put, once I put Justin Jefferson on, then I want like probably two partners with Mahomes if we're going Jefferson and Hawkinson. So we're saying it's just going to be some crazy blowout game. In this in this scenario? Yeah. No, no, no. In this scenario, we're just saying like, I mean, Justin Jefferson is so expensive, right? Yeah. This can be 34 to 31. Um, and Kelsey only accounts for one touchdown, but doesn't have a ton of yards. Jefferson, you know, puts up 20 points, but that's way less than you need at his, at his salary. You're going to get 20 points from a lot of other players. Um, and so, you know, then you're just saying like Hawkinson puts up a 30 plus point game, which he can do. We've seen him do it in this offense. Uh, Rasheed Rice puts up 17 to 20 points, whatever it might be. Um, you know, and it's a high scoring game, but neither offense is super concentrated. Um, the Vikings have five guys, really six guys now with Cam Akers starting to mix in with Alexander Madison. So they're not super concentrated. Uh, and then the, the, uh, Kansas city has, you know, like eight, nine guys that, that they're going to spread the ball around to. So, uh, you can have a, like a lower scoring team. And then speaking of guys that the Kelsey rosters wouldn't be able to fit, I would say, you know, if we're going to go up in price, Tyreek Hill would be the guy. Cause it's like, then it still, it doesn't break our thesis of this roster. Um, and I don't know what this would do to our salary, right? Like if it would actually be viable, but people are going to, so it's actually, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to think about it just because, and again, just from a strategy perspective, what would our competition not be able to do if they're if they're playing Mahomes, they're probably doing Kelsey instead of Hawkinson in this flex. And then they're trying to see if it's possible to fit in Justin Jefferson. So Mahomes, Hawkinson, Tyreek Hill, uh, like we could say it like this. Let's say Mahomes is 12% owned this week. What percentage of those rosters also have Tyreek Hill? Like probably under 10% of the Mahomes rosters have Tyreek Hill, maybe even less than that, right? So now you're sitting at like 1% or less of the tournament field has Mahomes and Hill. So now what happens if Mahomes is the quarterback you had to have, but Hill is the wide receiver you had to have, which is, this is a high confidence story that we're telling. Mahomes puts up 35, Hill puts up 40 something points. And all of a sudden it's like, you're one of the only rosters with both guys on it. Now, obviously this restricts us a lot, but it's an interesting way to kind of start this roster and, and think about things. Yeah, so uh, I think the cheapest defense like I was on so far was the Jets. Um, unless, I mean, I don't mind the Titans. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like the Titans. And I, I even like, um, you know, the, the we know how good the Vikings offense is, right? The Vikings scored one touchdown on, on offense last week. What did they, did they win that game 14 to 13 or they won it? Uh, no, they won it by a touchdown. They won it 21 to 13. So um, they scored two touchdowns on offense. One of their touchdowns was a defensive touchdown. So like the, this Panthers defense is really good. I would prefer Tennessee just because Tennessee is so game plan specific and 
you know, Anthony Richardson is such a handful on the ground, but Tennessee's run defense is so good and Richardson's going to make some mistakes, but um, either one of those are like viable. There's better defenses obviously, but either one of those are, are viable this week. Um, let's throw in Tennessee because that just okay. lets us see if this type of roster is, is possible. Cool. So, I mean, it's getting pretty thin on the running back area, but uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, look up Wondell Robinson <clears throat> And uh, Robinson's going to be popular this week, but um, oh, I feel like I played him um, last year. I definitely did, like a lot. Whenever um, he was injured, um, Saquon was injured. I think I played him. He's three thousand. Sweet, nine point six points. I mean, that's three times his salary, right? So. Jam. You there? Hmm. Well, is it me that's frozen now? Nope. Jam's gone again. That sucks. Give me one second. Let me see if he can get back in. This is just getting ridiculous. There we go. Sweet. Uh, that's my Ethernet co connection. I don't know why this keeps happening, but I guess I'm just doing Wi-Fi from now on. Um, that's back-to-back -back shows. Um, okay. Apologies for that, you guys. Yeah, uh, Wondell Robinson. Like he's gonna be he's gonna be popular this week. And the, the question on somebody who's going to be popular is like, well, like we said, right? Like, I think a lot of people last week were going down to uh, Josh Palmer, right? And they're just like, well, he's only 4K. And I started thinking, and Palmer was a really good play. I had, I had a decent chunk of Josh Palmer. But you can spend 1K more and get up to the Nico Collinses who can go for 30, right? And Josh Palmer was kind of capped at last year. He never topped like 15, 16 points. Well, he had a 20, he had like a 33 pointer, but Keenan Allen and Mike Williams were out. So when Keenan or Williams were playing, he was kind of capped in like the 15, 16 point range. And that was like his likeliest ceiling. So you, you don't want to just play the popular cheap guy. If he's going to get you like eight points, right. Where you're like, yeah, it's a good salary multiplier, but now that's one guy on your roster who can't help win you the tournament. But again, looking at past production, uh, Wondell Robinson last year, 22 pointer this last game of the season, nine catches for hundred yards on 13 targets. Didn't even score a touchdown in that game and put up 22.4 DraftKings points. Uh, also this 12.7 pointer with a touchdown also had this 11 pointer without a touchdown. The, uh, the giants drafted him very specifically to be like, I'll say like this. He was, he was one of the first players that Brian Dable drafted last year. Brian Dable was the new coach of the Giants last year. Wondell Robinson was their second round pick. And he had a very specific vision for how Wondell Robinson would fit into this offense. He talked about it a lot last offseason about how crucial Wondell Robinson was to this offense. And then Wondell Robinson got hurt, missed most of the season. So now he's back and his snaps should be ramping up. I haven't even check, checked his snap share uh, from last week yet, but 
yeah, basically like he's out there. I think the week before he had only like 11 snaps, but five targets. Right. So that tells us that when he's out there, they're trying to make sure they get him the ball. Uh, last week, he ramped up to 48 snaps out of 75 for the Giants. So we would expect that this next week, he'll be up in that like 50 to 60 snap range. Typically, a team's going to run about 60, 65 snaps. So you're talking about like he's kind of the number one receiver. And Isaiah Hodgins was a practice squad player last year and then got called up. Um, Darius Slayton was buried on the Giants depth chart and eventually they had to force him into action. Paris Campbell has been cast off by the Colts. And then you've got Wondell Robinson, who's a second year player, second round pick last year, a guy they handpicked, a guy they want to build around. So, I mean, you don't want to take the three K guy who you're just like, well, he's going to get me six or seven points, but like Wondell Robinson can get you 15. He can get you 18. He can get you 20. And, you know, that's hard to get at any price point, right? Justin Jefferson might get 20 this week and Wondell Robinson gets 20 at 3K. So I think he's a super sharp play. Um, he's so, be popular, but he's not one of those guys I'll like avoid because he's popular. So I accidentally uh, said, I think maybe like when you're lagging out that um, I was like, I was wondering who he was and I, I messed up and I said that he, they put him, um, they used him a lot whenever, I think I accidentally said Saquon was out. But um, who was out last year, wide receiver wise, whenever they started like using him a lot more? Because I, I know, know somebody had gotten injured, and like that was the week. Oh, that could I- have been Sterling Shepard. Yeah, that's been Sterling Shepard. But I mean, again, Wondell Robinson was kind of and Shepard. Another, I mean, Shepard was a really good wide receiver, but uh, you know, had an Achilles tear a couple of years ago, and most players are never the same after that. Like their wide receiver room is, is probably the worst in the league. And then you've got Wondell Robinson, who is a pretty electric talent. Um, he's a Zay Flowers type of player, as in he's the kind of guy you want to scheme him touches close to the line of scrimmage just to get the ball in his hands. But then also unlike, unlike Rondell Moore in Arizona, where it's like you scheme him touches and that's all you can do. Uh, or Kadarius Tony, you scheme him touches and that's all you can do. They can also kind of put him in schemed routes and run him downfield and, um, he can be a downfield receiver like Zay Flowers has, has shown this year. So, um, yeah, there's there's Calvin Austin chalk where it's like there's not a lot of value, but Calvin Austin's here. And it was like Calvin Austin wasn't a bad play last week, but he wasn't a good play, and a lot of people were going to be on him. Whereas Wondell Robinson's actually good. If he if he were 4,200, he'd be a pretty solid play this week. So um, at 3K, he's, a, he's not chalk I mind eating. And, again, nobody's going to have this core thesis of ours, right, where it's like, Mahomes, yeah. Hawkinson, Rasheed Rice, Tyree Kill. And, and again, it's very viable to paint a story in which Mahomes is the quarterback you had to have this week and Tyree Kill is the wide receiver you had to have and most people won't have them together. So we have a very low-owned, our highest ceiling pieces are low-owned combinatorially and that just helps us so much in terms of getting to first place that Wondell Robinson could be 40%, which he won't be, but he could be 40% owned and we really wouldn't mind it because it opens up this unique build for us. So could we also take another piece from the Chiefs uh, running back wise with us saying that he's going to maybe throw a touchdown to one of these uh, running backs? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, Jarek McKinnon has kind of traditionally been one of the better stacking partners with him. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco caught a touchdown last week. Uh, I believe he caught a touchdown last week. Not typically used in the um, passing game. Did he not catch a touchdown? No, but he did, he did catch a long, a long uh, pass at the sideline. Uh, not typically like a, a super high pass game role. I will say last week's 27 pointer from Pacheco. It was like the first time in, I think like five years, first time since Clyde Edwards Hilaire's first game of his career that we've had a Kansas city ground running back top 20 points. 
So it's pretty rare just because they, they throw so much close to the goal line that those guys don't typically get the touchdowns. But, um, but yeah, Jarek McKinnon's always kind of a, a guy you can consider in this backfield. Um, at the same time, like there's like, there are running backs in this, like who are just a little bit more than him who maybe have higher ceilings as well. You know, uh, DeAndre Swift is 6K. Devon Achan is 6,100. Mostert 6,200. Um, Jameer Gibbs is 5,900. And it's like watching that Panthers defense, it's so hard to pass against them. And then they're just beg teams to run against them. Like their defensive line gets shoved back on every running play. And not only that, most teams you see, like play action is so effective because the quarterback goes for the handoff motion and the linebackers like move forward. Uh, linebackers responsibility is forward first and then back second, right? So if it's play action, linebackers start flying forward. The Panthers, I don't know if it's how they're coached or just how their linebackers are, but th- on, on running plays, they're kind of flat footed and they don't move forward. So like, so play action isn't as effective against them, but run plays are so effective against them. So expect the, the lions to run a lot this week, which obviously means David Montgomery, but you know, what if the lions are like, Hey, let's give Jameer Gibbs the <laughs> touches. And again, this is the type of roster where we could put Jameer Gibbs because Mahomes, we know that the offense flows through him. Uh, Tyree Kill, we know that the offense flows through him. Wondell Robinson, we know he's sharp, sharp value. Um, TJ Hawkinson, we know that's like somewhat high confidence in terms of usage if this game blows up. So not to say that we have to go with a player like Gibbs, but just saying this is the type of roster where you could put uh, a Jameer Gibbs. And then you've also got James Conner, who's, you know, 5,800. He's put up 20 points three times this year, 19 points, three times this year um, in this underrated Cardinals offense. Uh, And I I mean, Joe Burrow, and it could move, it could change after a week, another week of rehab, but like the dude can't move. Um, And it's one thing to like watch. uh, I've said this before, like when you watch all the games, certain things really stand out because you see all like you're just feeding your brain, all this other information and if you just watch a Bengals game, it doesn't stand out to you that Burrow can't move. But if you like watch it after watching Brock Purdy, like sliding and moving around the pocket, um, you're like, bro, like here comes a pass rush. Purdy avoids it. He moves up Baker Mayfield, avoids it. He slides up. He moves up, uh, outside. Like he rolls out. He ducks a- around a guy, like slides out to the left. Like Burrow's just standing there. Um, and this Cardinals defense is really smart. They're not super talented, but they're really smart. And so, um, I could see kind of Arizona controlling this game or at least staying right in it enough that Connor can have a, a solid game. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places that we can we can go at running back. I don't think we have to go to one of these guys. What about Brees Hall? What are your opinions on Brees Hall this week? Yeah, so uh, did you see the report this morning that they're like, they're saying restrictions are off? I don't know what that means, right? Because the, well, let me say it like this. Zach Wilson had like a top eight quarterback performance this last weekend. Like he looked legitimately awesome. Yeah. And it wasn't just this last game, his last drive, his final drive the previous week, or like one of his last drives the previous week, uh, Tony Romo said on the broadcast, it was the best drive of Zach Wilson's career. And that was week three. Like Zach Wilson has started rounding into form and now he's playing the Broncos. I don't know what that means in that, you got Nathaniel Hackett with the revenge game against the Broncos. You got Zach Wilson looking good, but also the Jets want to win, right? So they could, it could be like 25 pass attempts for Zach Wilson and he just looks awesome, but they don't need him. Um, and then they run it with, with Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. I think that's the likeliest way for this to play out. I still think that Dalvin Cook is going to get 
40% of the carries. So you need, I was thinking about this yesterday, like you probably need a 30 carry game from the Jets backfield as a whole. And then Brees Hall can end up getting like 17 of those carries. So, um, but yeah, I do think that there's potential in this game environment where the Jets defense is so good that they're going to, I mean, Kansas City scored 17 points in what the first quarter against the Jets. And then after that, they couldn't score the rest of the game. They scored six more points. The rest of the game, that's Kansas City Chiefs, right? Like, so I, I can see Denver struggling here, the Jets having a good time in possession, and uh, Brees Hall getting like 16, 17 carries. So yeah, he's one of the one of the guys on my list this week. In fact, uh, I've got a list of let me find this list. So I've got a list of running backs who can put up the top score on the slate. He's not on that list. And then I've got like the list of just running backs that I like based on like price and, and the ways out, uh, roster construction will work this week. And let's see, uh, guys on that list are like Bijan Robinson, the two Lions, Derrick Henry, the two Dolphins, uh, Joe Mixon, who I, I never play, but he is in a good spot this week. James Conner, DeAndre Swift, and Brees Hall. So it's like, um, yeah, he's in that mix for me this week. Sweet. Um, I'm going to put him in there. And then just like a quick like side question, they, since we're talking about like the Jets and Zach Wilson, do you think Zach Wilson had his um, Trevor Lawrence moment that you talked about? Like, yeah. You know what I said? I said on Twitter two weeks ago, I said before we realized how bad the, um, before we realized how bad the Broncos defense was, I said that I was pretty convinced that Zach Wilson was not the same old Zach Wilson. And uh, I said, it just didn't look like there were going to be like a good opportunity for him to show that because of this string of like tough defenses he was coming up against. He was coming up against uh, the Patriots and then uh, Kansas city and then the Broncos. And then there's two other tough ones after this. And so uh, my thought was like, Zach Wilson's not, I, I said in the tweet, like, I don't think Zach Wilson will be able to show this until coming out of the bye against the giants, which is like week nine or something. But the, some people asked like, what are you seeing with him? that leads you saying that. And I didn't get a chance to answer, but it was basically like the, he, uh, Salah has talked about this a lot. Like Zach Wilson has no problem making the reads. Zach Wilson is excellent at quickly making reads and understanding what the defense is giving him. What he hasn't been good at is quickly reacting to that and, and pulling the trigger on it. So in other words, what he hasn't been good at is the confidence to trust himself. And just the way like that he, has been talking and presenting himself like that simple thing. It's been like, Oh, this dude has his confidence back. Like he actually believes in himself right now. And then, you know, you put him out there against whatever it's been the Buffalo and Dallas and, um, and new England and Kansas city. And it's hard to show that, but he started showing that at the end against new England, he showed it against Kansas city. And those are top eight defenses. Um, and so then, then all of a sudden he's got the Broncos, right? So yeah, I do think that, I think that the confidence has already been growing. And it's probably a thing of, um, you know, having, you know, nobody, nobody is as into like the mental side of things as Aaron Rodgers is. And some people would say like too far overboard on it, but you know, it works for him. Right. And I think that just being around somebody like that, who has that enormous amount of self-confidence and Rodgers was never known for like Rodgers wasn't known for helping Jordan love behind the scenes, but now Rodgers like knows that this is, like this is the end. This is the last chapter for him. So also he's like very willing to go out of his way and help Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson calls Aaron Rodgers his big brother. Uh, and so like Zach Wilson is to me, he is 
you know, early in his career, man, Tony Romo, who knows as much about quarterback as anyone was like raving about Zach Wilson's tools and how great Zach Wilson was going to be. And then he just like, Wilson just lost it, you know? Uh, but yeah, I do think that he's already kind of had those steps and then that play is just going to make it easier for him to have that confidence. Like I've played around with the idea of playing 100% Garrett Wilson this week, because like, even if they throw it 25 times, Garrett Wilson's going to get 10 targets probably against this Broncos defense. And Zach Wilson looks really good. You know um, I probably won't go 100% and it's early in the week, but like, I'll probably have a lot of Garrett Wilson this week and I'll definitely have some Zach Wilson because he, he genuinely looks like a, like an exciting young NFL quarterback and this matchup, what was Justin Fields was like 21 of 21 at one point last week, like 200 something yards and three touchdowns. Like this is not a tough defense. They're going to obviously keep working to get better, but uh, right now this is just a good, a good spot for this Jets offense. I just don't know how that will show itself, right. In in terms of, are they going to just take the lead and then run the ball, which wouldn't surprise me. They they don't care about stats. Um, There's the outside chance that Hackett does care about it after the way things went with Denver last year, but uh, realistically they care about getting the win. And that might mean just a lot more Brees Hall running the ball. So if we want to throw Garrett Wilson on this, this roster right here. Yeah. I had that thought. I had that thought when I saw that salary would work for that. Um, I think it's kind of a tough, it's kind of a tough, um, maybe it's not right. Maybe it's not such a tough call to do it. They haven't, neither of them has produced a score all season that matches up with their price tag. And then you're going to say like, now they're both going to do it in the same game, which is kind of a stretch at the same time. The context of it is valuable. They played the Cowboys. They played, the, they played the Bills. They played the Cowboys. They played the Patriots. They played the Chiefs. Uh, and so could it happen here? Yeah, like you talk about them as an 11.4K player. Can they score 45 combined points? Honestly, that it's not that hard for them to do. Um, yeah, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. I don't, I don't think I mind it because if Brees Hall gets 18 touches, he can go for 100 yards and two touchdowns. And if Garrett Wilson, is, you know, the other wide receivers on this team were Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, like, you know, so Garrett Wilson, he can, he can see, he can put up hundred yards in a touchdown without Zach Wilson being a worthwhile play. Right. Cause Zach Wilson might, might put up 225 and that one touchdown pass. So um, yeah, it's unique, but I think it, it's viable here. It's not like, it's not one of those solid blocks like the Rams were last week where you're like, and then you're just getting these points, you know, but I think it also, it works on this roster. Sweet. Um, I think we should, you know, with all the risk we have been taking on this, this roster specifically, maybe we should like go down a little bit and get James Connor over Jameer Gibbs. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, because you know, the, and the thing is, it's not like Connor can't get 30 points. He gets yeah. enough touches that he can. Uh, Bengals run defense hasn't looked good so far this year. And uh, Jameer Gibbs could get you 30, but he could get you six. Whereas Connor, you know, obviously he could get you like 12 or 13, but his likeliest range is going to be in that like 15 to 22 point range. And every once in a while he'll have like a 26, 28 pointer uh, in there. And so, yeah, I I like that idea. You kind of take that extra safety on there. And this is, I mean, and I've had a few rosters this week where I kind of look at it and have like a few practice builds and I'm like, wait a second, how did I fit in so many high priced, guys you know like I, i've had some rosters with uh, i probably won't play a lot of jamar chase this week but i had rosters with like derrick henry jamar chase and justin jefferson and i'm like wait how is that possible then you realize well i've got wandell robinson or i've got like 
Josh Dobbs and Michael Wilson, um, Zach Ertz, you know, and you're, and you're like, oh, it does free up some salary to where I'm not going out of my way to fit in all these high priced guys, but it's, there are ways to do it. Uh, like Mahomes, Hawkinson, Tyreek Hill should really restrict your salary, but this doesn't feel like a roster where we were then like, oh, we got to take all the savings, you know? Yeah. Um, and part of that is, you know, the running back position this week, like go, go to the top of the running back list. Like Bijan Robinson is probably getting about 20 touches, you know, and like, that's a lot to pay for a guy who's going to get 20 touches. Derrick Henry's a great play this week. Like he, he's got a good shot at one of his 25 to 30 point games, but um, you know, Saquon Barkley has that actually pull up Saquon's game log. And we see that first game, which was 27 point or second game, 27.2. Do you know that's his best game in Brian Dable's offense? This is best game, right? Everybody's going to pay like comfortable paying 8,100 for a guy who hasn't topped 27.2 points in this offense and not say he can't, but it's like that he's, he's pretty overpriced, right? Bijan Robinson, he can get you 30, but can he get you 40? Can he bury you for not playing him? He's pretty overpriced. And so you kind of go down the list and the David Montgomery, obviously he can get the touchdown, but he could also get you no touchdown to get you 12, 13 points because he doesn't catch passes. Um, so it's like, you're kind of, compelled to be down in this lower range of running back which frees up salary to go other places uh, again i like derrick henry this week and it's wednesday there's time for things to develop but uh yeah it, it and then with the savings in some other places or garrett wilson being underpriced for his ceiling and wandell robinson being underpriced just fundamentally there's just a lot that we can do this week and it, it makes it a week that i really like because i i think that weeks like this they they tend to be pretty clear to me and other people tend to have issues with them. So that's like a, that's a double bonus right there. Sweet. Uh, I like our lineup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty nice, and it's a pretty nice, um, I've kind of felt that way with all my practice builds so far where I'm like, Oh, I really like this. Uh, which kind of just means I like the, I like the week, you know, um, any final thoughts before we, Hop out of here. It got to get dark in your uh, recording room. Yeah, yeah, I know. My window, usually, I just use the natural light, but um, it, like, just rained, and I think it's still raining, so it's just really dark. And I Oh, you didn't even, like, close the blinds or anything? No. <laughs> That's wild. Uh, yeah. I use the natural light and then, a, um, like, a lamp on my desk because uh, <laughs> in Oregon where it's, the natural light is gone this, this time of year. So, um, all right, well. Anything else before we hop out of here? Nothing. Cool. Um, appreciate the time. Appreciate you guys for hanging out with us, watching, listening. And uh, again, use this kind of time of the week not to make final decisions, but just to eh, – let me talk about that real quickly. So basically, uh, I, treat, I treat each week almost like game day. Like all of this is practice. And I'm going to have my – like Shane Steichen was talking about this, um, something I was watching yesterday, Shane Steichen, Colts head coach, former Eagles offensive coordinator. He was basically saying like, once you're in the game, you're play calling, it's all about the flow of the game. And you just have to feel it and you have to make calls and you've got your whole sheet, you've done all your prep and you're like, here's all my second and seven calls and here's all my third and one calls and all that. But then like you're in that moment, sometimes like, you know what? I'm moving off of my third and one calls because I really like this play in this situation. And um, for me, that's what Saturday night is like for building. All of this is preparation. All of this is laying the groundwork. Sometimes 90% of what I think of throughout the week is exactly what I'm going to roll with on Saturday night. And sometimes I start seeing things differently on Saturday night. So always have like build a process for yourself where you're not making firm decisions early in the week. You give yourself that opportunity to make final decisions 
late in the week, but this is a good opportunity to get a sense of what some of our late decisions might look like, start playing around with the slate, preparing ourselves to make sharp decisions at the end of the week. So uh, with that, we will get out of here. Thanks for hanging out. We will see you on one week season throughout the week. We'll see you back here on the DFS lab on Thursday, and we will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.